Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I am joined here, as is our custom, with Father Joshua Nelson as we, as we continue our journey through the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, Father Joshua, welcome back for Season Trace. After what feels like a very long time. After what feels like a very long time and after a plague has stricken our houses. But then again, you're stricken with plague again. So It's not plague. It's just a cold. It is but a flesh wound. It is but a flesh wound. Come back. I'll bite your ankles off. <laughs> so your, your, your present plague is just, a, is just a household plague. It's, it's, not, it's not COVID plague. No, it's just the curses of uh, living with toddlers, as as you know well. Well, we we had a. Uh, you had COVID. I had COVID in January. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, the second bout, which is which is why we didn't record in January, um, and and now it is March, and uh, I had, I had an upper respiratory thing. Um, come about as well in February, um, which was also not a good time to record. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, I have asthma. And so I um, I am always particularly susceptible. And then once I get one, I I tend to suffer greatly with, with respiratory illnesses. And so I'm just really getting over the ends of, of, a, of a cold myself. So yeah, but it, but it, it being March already, there's no point in waiting any longer. Let's just dive in. Yeah, uh, and and folks have been patient, patiently foaming at the mouth for our next season, what we should call our Trinitarian season, uh, as it is our our third season. Uh, so, and then we get to dig in a lot with the Holy Spirit right now, so that makes perfect sense. Uh, and the and the great thing about it being a, a trinitarian season is the way that the the seasons tend to fold in on each other. So it's like the seasons are always moving around anyway. I'm making a perichoresis joke here, no. or a Doctor Who joke. It's all wibbly wobbly, timey wimey anyway. Well, and that's the thing about the prayer book is it's definitely bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> so. I, I'm the one on Dayquil. I don't know what you're on, but folks, you are in for a ride today. Um, this is this is 100% pure Colombian. Also, I am burning incense in my office, uh, and this is this is 100% pure lump incense. Um, so, incense has been proven to have slightly psychoactive properties to it. So, um, I promise it's incense, but there is some smoke in the air. Uh, in our pre-show banter, Father Joshua said, "It looks like you've entered into the Shekinah glory." And and uh, I can't say that the pivots on the threshold will shake at the voice of one who is speaking, but it is smoky in here. So, <laughs> and we don't need to put any hot coals on our lips. No, I'm. In fact, I'm concerned that I may have some hot coals on my desk uh, as I'm trying out a new thurible today. Uh, <laughs> so. To bring everybody up to speed on where we are in the Book of Common Prayer, we have found ourselves at the end of the um, 
section of the Easter Vigil called the Liturgy of the Word. And what happens at the end of the Liturgy of the Word in the Easter Vigil, uh, if, if you're following along at home, we're on page 292. Um, the rubrics say that a homily may be preached after any of the preceding readings, which we didn't preach a homily after any of those readings because of what comes at the next rubric. And that rubric says that holy baptism, beginning with the presentation of the candidates on page 301, so that tells you what page we're be, we will be flipping to, uh, 300. Page 301 uh, may be administered oh. here or after the gospel. And we thought that it being uh, an important part of our lives as Christians, that the place to go to in the vigil would be to go straight into the rite of holy baptism. And so here at the Quasi second sort of first episode of season three, we take up the we take up the rite of holy baptism on the book of on the BCP and me. And you know, it is with our first birth that we are born into the human family, and it is this second birth of baptism that we are born into the family of God, and uh, this outward sign that. Um, we are all children of God together. But, but Father Joshua, what is holy baptism? And, and where in the Book of Common Prayer can we, can we find an explanation of what baptism is? Oh, probably on the section on baptism called Concerning the Service. But where else can we find? I'm pitching you to... Oh. Catechism. You're pitching me toward the catechism. I was going straight to concerning the service, oh, which no. has a great opening line, which let, let's share that just for a moment. Uh, the opening line in concerning the service is holy baptism is full initiation by water and the Holy Spirit into Christ's body, the church. The bond which God establishes in baptism, and I love this word, is indissoluble. It can't be washed away cannot be washed away. The washing away cannot be washed away. And so we are constantly being swept up into streams of God's grace through the waters of baptism. It's like being caught in an eddy, in an eddy pool. It's like being pulled into a maelstrom. Uh, <laughs> slightly more powerful than an eddy. A little more powerful, yeah. So, so what does it say within the catechism, Tyler? Well, on page 858 in the Book of Common Prayer, Holy baptism is described as the sacrament by which God adopts us as his children and makes us members of Christ's body, the church, and inheritors of the kingdom of God. The outward and visible sign in baptism is water, in which the person is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the inward and spiritual grace in baptism is union with Christ in his death and resurrection, birth into God's family, the church, forgiveness of sins, and new life in the Holy Spirit. At our baptisms, it is required that we renounce Satan, repent of our sins, and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So that's the basics. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. 
Before we dive into the liturgy and the theology and everything that's going on inside the swirling waters of baptism, perhaps we should pray the collect for baptisms. So, Father Joshua, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, by our baptism into the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you turn us from the old life of sin. Grant that we, being reborn to new life in him, may live in righteousness and holiness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, Father Tyler, if baptism washes away our sins, do we have to get rebaptized every time we sin? What a wonderful question. I'm going to let it hang there just for a minute while I take another slug of coffee. It's not really the idea, is it? Baptism as a, as a sacrament, and sacraments being described as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, is about, of course, washing away of our sins, of course, but it's also more about our, our being reconciled with God, as being welcomed into the household of God. We're all going to sin. Being adopted. Being adopted. Quite literally. Um, we're all going to sin. Sinners going to sin. That's what sinners do. We're good at that. Uh, it is it is in our baptisms that we commit our lives that when we fall into sin, um, that we will repent of our sins and turn back to God. In fact, it's part of the baptismal covenant that we're going to talk about as we as we approach that part of the as we approach that part of the liturgy. So we're not called to be rebaptized, but we're called to repent and come back. Repent. Repent come back again uh -huh. and again again and again and again and again it is it is that maelstrom it is that eddy it is that just swirling around in the waters um but again it is also being trapped in that in a good sense as we said earlier in concerning the service the bond which god establishes in baptism is indissoluble it is indissoluble it happens once and you can't change it. One and done for baptism. We renew our vows like you would do with a marriage, right? You can renew your, your vows, your covenant to each other. Uh, we renew our vows that we make to God and to each other. But uh, no, once that water goes on, it's not going anywhere. And that is both a comfort and a challenge. Yeah. Um, because once you're in, you're in. St. Paul writes in his letters that nothing can, that he is convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, and that too is both a comfort and a challenge. It's almost as if entering into baptism is, now stick with me as I, as I lay this out here. It's almost as if entering into baptism isn't just like, I don't know, a rite of passage and is about a radical change that is exacted in one's life through the action of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
any well, of this sounding strange to you? You know, it is because my question then is, Father Tyler, I know in the Episcopal Church we have this tradition of baptizing infants, but if there is this radical change in life, what does that have to do with an infant? Oh, and that causes us to have to have to grapple with our old friend, the doctrine of original sin, um, which, which I have already had to grapple with once today. That's my original sin. Father, I poked a badger with a spoon. No, the idea that in the Garden of Eden, the original rebellion of Adam and Eve is something that is passed on to us as as part of being born into the human race um but what the catechism says about why we baptize them babies and i know something about this having just baptized a baby um i don't do a good monica i don't do a good moira rose so um i i can't say baby the way that she does it and I am I am currently vamping because I am trying to find the page back in the catechism on baptism. There it is, page 858. Why do we baptize infants? Well, infants are baptized so that they can share citizenship in the covenant, membership in Christ, and redemption by God. And you ask yourself then, well, how are the promises for infants made and carried out? Promises are made for them by their parents and sponsors, also called godparents, who guarantee that the infants will be brought up within the church to know Christ and to be able to follow him. So would it be fair to say that it is the Christian, especially in the Episcopal Church and in the Orthodox Church where we baptize infants, it is almost as if um, the baptizing of infants can be related to the circumcision of uh, Jewish male babies. Uh, I think that is probably its direct antecedent. Yeah. yeah. We baptize our babies into the church so that they can share with us in the citizenship in God's kingdom, just like what happened for a Jewish baby. Yeah, and there are there are promises made. Uh, you have to have a minion in order to, um, which is a certain number of Jewish men present at a, a bris um, or the service of, sac- or of circumcision, but promises are made and vows are made in that covenant on behalf of the infant that is now entering into the community, into the community of faith. Yeah, moil or less, so. Moil or less. Oh dear Lord! Um, Those episodes. <laughs> I I actually I actually get really excited about baptism because number one, baptism is the keystone sacrament. Uh, not in that it is the sacrament that transport transports oil from Canada into the United States that has been shut off and dismantled and is not going forward, but more in that it is through baptism that we begin to experience the action of God in our lives, whether that happens when we're itty bitty babies, like my brand new daughter, Linnea, who was baptized with the baptized by the Bishop just a few weeks ago and resplendent glory. 
there were angels singing and we heard the voice of God and actually no, but Linnea and the Bishop did lock eyes for a solid five minutes and neither one of them moved. (laughs) Actually a really powerful moment. Um, But um, in that, when we go through the waters of baptism, when we pass through the waters of baptism, we are entering into a life inside of the church through which all the other sacraments come. You have baptism, which gives you entrance into holy communion. People bring their children to communion at different times within the Christian church um, based on their own theologies of of what what needs to happen in order for a person to receive communion. Um, But then there's you know, the sacrament of sacrament of marriage. You have to be one, at least one of the two partners has to be baptized in the Christian church to have a Christian marriage in this denomination. It's one of the requirements in, in the laws of our church. There's confirmation by which you reach an age um, where you are actually able to take on the baptismal promises that were made for you at your baptism. Like a bar mitzvah. Like a bar mitzvah. There's so many things that happen inside of Christianity that flow through our baptisms. And a lot of hay has been made, needlessly. I'm giving away my position here. That that coming to communion before baptism is illicit practice. And it's my assertion that it's not illicit practice. So many people have said that, you know, well, people need to experience communion before they can, before they can experience, you know, the, the real grace of God or that denying someone, denying someone communion because they aren't baptized is deeply inhospitable. And to that, I would say absolutely not. Because communion, and this is, this is probably another lecture that's going to come up at a different time. Yeah. Communion was not something that Jesus stood out on the market, out in the corner of the marketplace, out in the midst of the souk, and just handed out to passers-by saying, this is my body, this is my blood. No, he did it with his closest friends. With his, and people who had committed themselves to his way. Yes. You know, discipleship is not something that is just you move in and out of. And that's that's probably one of the other misunderstandings that leads to people just say, well, communion is for everybody. No, communion is for the baptized because these disciples of Jesus did not come to him to teach them or that they didn't come to Jesus for him to teach them as their rabbi in this passive thing. Number one, Jesus called them, which, you know, doesn't happen, was not the model. Um, and on top of that, it took them committing their lives to Jesus and his teachings in order for them to be admitted into the upper room for Jesus to say, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. It's not something that is just meant for everybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, there's a reason it is called Holy Communion. Uh, it is about that community, but that is a topic for another episode, which will be coming shortly. I think we need to kind of get back to baptism. <laughs> oh, back to baptism. 
So um, if you're if you're following along at home, we're around page 300 in the Book of Common Prayer. We've left the Easter Vigil, where the Easter Vigil is located. We're actually within a sacrament that has been placed inside the context of the Easter Vigil. So we're sort of in this space inside of the Easter Vigil where holy baptism is taking place. And so we have reached the part in the service that is actually on page 301, where the celebrant, who is either a priest or sometimes you're lucky and you have a bishop for the Easter Vigil, stands up and says, the candidates for holy baptism will now be presented. And so the parents, the godparents, hopefully both come forward, if it's a child, and say, I present Linnea to receive the sacrament of baptism. Now, if it's somebody older, can you present yourself if you're coming to baptism as like an adult? Well, in right above that section on page 301, it says the candidates who are able to answer for themselves are presented individually by their sponsors as follows. So they have somebody that is sponsoring them, somebody that will also be guiding them through this um, new walk in the community as well. It's almost as if there is somebody who comes forward to, in a sense, vouch for them. Well, to vouch for them and on the, on the same page as parents or godparents, you know, there's that old, old adage that the God, you have godparents because that's who's going to take care of you if your parents die when you're a child. Yeah, exactly. That's not what it's about. Right. You have godparents, because these are people that are going to be active in your life or active in the life of this candidate, this child, this adult, in walking them, in shepherding them through the Christian life. Right. Um, teaching them the commandments, teaching them the way and the sacraments. Um, it's a big responsibility. Right. And it is about our faith, not about some legal system. Right. Right. That, that's why even if you're as an adult, you still have a sponsor because you may be an adult in the flesh. You may be an adult in, in as society uh, names you. But when you're coming into baptism, you are still an infant in the faith. You are being a new, you're being made a new creation in God. And so, as St. Paul writes, we do not give you meat. Yes. We still need the milk. Yeah. We're, you got to have somebody to look after you if you're going to come into this and do this faith, do this faith particularly well. And, and here's our musical theater reference, as Sondheim says in Into the Woods, no one is alone. Yeah. You do not enter this alone. Yeah. The community of faith walks with you. So even as an adult, you have someone who comes forward with you to present you into this sacrament of baptism. And when it's the case of an adult, the celebrant, whether it be a bishop or a priest, asks the candidate who's being presented, do you desire to be baptized? And that candidate normally will respond, I do, or they wouldn't come forward for baptism. You know, we don't force anybody into baptism. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But in the case of a child, 
The question then turns to the parents and the godparents, who are then asked, will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? And the parents and godparents say, I will. No, they don't. The parents no, and godparents say, I will with God's help. Even at this initial stage of the baptism, it's important for us as the one presenting a child that the work of raising a child up in the Christian faith in life requires the direct action of God coming alongside and helping to guide us as we help to bring our child into the full stature of Christ, which is the next question. The celebrant asks those that are presenting a child. Will you, by your prayers and witness, help this child to grow into the full stature of Christ? And the parents again say, I will, with God's help. What a difference a comma makes. It's important that 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 subordinate prepositional phrase be there, with God's help. Because it's not something that we do on our own. We do it, but God has to help us do it. And, and that, too, is a comfort. I mean, for any parent or aunt or uncle or gunkle or whatever you may be, uh, to have a position of influence in some child's life, to be able to say, I'm doing this with God's help. Right. Um, it's, it's an important place. It's an important role to fill. Um, you know, it's, it's not, even being a, even being a godparent requires the help of God because you're not just signing on to some passive relationship. Yeah. You're signing on to the work of a lifetime. Uh, and, and we're not talking about godparents in the sense of the classic godfather as I scratch my chin, but literally someone who's going to be there to help this person come into their full stature in Christ with the parents. And and then we come to a very personal part of this encounter. Uh, There's what is known as the examination uh, of the candidate. And there are questions and answers uh, back and forth between either the the priest or bishop, the celebrant, and those speaking on behalf of the child or of the person being baptized themselves. Um, and they're great questions. And in the earliest forms of baptism uh, and practices, these were done literally facing to the West. So you were looking into darkness and the setting sun as you were asked these questions. Do you renounce Satan? and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. And you say, I renounce them. Let's unpack that a little bit, Father Tyler. How deep do you want to unpack this? (laughs) Well, it it has some things that, that a lot of people struggle with. One, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? it's it starts out right there with a biggie. Well, and it is the great biggie. I mean, that's the way that the that's the way that the uh, that's the way Luther described it. The great biggie, the great biggie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
we're doing some deep theology now. It's the way that the baptismal covenant, or the, I'm sorry, the, the examination is designed is that it starts at a cosmic scale. There we go. Like this, yeah. this is such a big question. And we recognize that there are forces at work in the world around us, including Satan. Um, and those spiritual force, those spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, that there is a evil that is active in the world that is rebelling against God that occasionally influences us. And part of our the first step on that road to becoming a Christian is to start there at the global scale and saying, I don't want anything to do with those spiritual forces that rebel against God, including Satan. Yeah any of them the uni- not even global scale the universal the universal those powers and principalities and dominions that we that we struggle against yeah our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against these cosmic forces which leads to the next step down the garden path do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. And here we've narrowed it a little bit. So, so the, the funnel has become slightly more narrow and we're bringing it down a level or several. And we're talking about how these evil powers of the world do corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. If you need a good example of this, you need only cast your eyes towards the east. And of course, the one being presented or the one doing the presenting says, I renounce them because we don't want anything to do with those, those not cosmic, but those tangible signs of the evil powers working in the world. We're saying we're doing away with those. Yeah. Uh, Then do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? Now we've come to a deeply personal in level. And now the crosshairs are fixed directly on us. Um, which we can do a little wordplay with that later, but this is about the individual. And of course, this is all about the individual, but this is the place where sort of the rubber meets the road in terms of the renunciations. All of those sinful desires that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God that find their beginnings in Satan and all the spiritual forces that rebel against God, it comes down to us in that moment when we say we want to be done with that, even on an individual level. And, and this is these three renunciations, this, this coming closer and closer and more inwardly is uh, where we, end our positioning and our turning our face toward the western sky the setting sun and into the darkness now we literally get to turn around if um we don't do this necessarily in modern baptisms but in the ancient rite of baptism this was literally where you would be turned around um and it is do you turn to jesus christ and accept him as your savior and this isn't even with God's help. This is just an answer of, I do. This has to, 
if you are doing this as an adult, oh my gosh, um, this is a big step to take this on and say, I, yes, I do. I accept Jesus Christ as my savior, which in a lot of traditions, a lot of Christian traditions, that's kind of where it ends, isn't it? That's like all you have to do. Well, and and that's that's the big linchpin is that for a lot of Protestant denominations that it is this moment of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This moment, the the sinner's prayer is right here, you know. Yeah, but and, we keep going. But we keep going, um, as as we open our hearts up to Jesus as as Lord and Savior. Then what comes along with that is putting in the next question. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? And so we are we are taking that commitment that we've made to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord up to the next level. It is not just about accepting Jesus as his Savior. It's about putting our trust that Jesus is going to be with us, to love us, to guide us. And we're putting our whole trust in that. So we're bringing it up a level. We're bringing it up a level and we're expanding it out. It's almost like we're living in this hourglass. We've gone from the universal and brought it in. And now we are at the the deeply personal and we're expanding out. And that brings us to the third question. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. And the power of that question, do you follow, do you promise to follow him and obey him as your Lord? Lots of people get hung up in the patriarchal language here, but what this is actually talking about is about the kingship of Jesus and, and accepting that as being something that applies to you as a member of the kingdom of God. And and you know, you may get caught up in the word kingship. It is about the ultimate authority. Right. Of God. Right. Um, Over all things and in all things. So you're really, you're really taking one flag down your flagpole and then running another one up and then tying it off so that it doesn't come down again. You're, you're changing your allegiances here in a cosmic sense. Um, this isn't just some passive rite of passage. You are signaling in a universal way that you are now on the side of God and have accepted Jesus. And Jesus is your Lord, Savior, that is going to be the ultimate guiding force in your life. So now, if we're thinking of the, the ancient ways, you have gone from renouncing the evil in the West and the darkness and you have turned to accept Jesus and grace and love, and you're facing the rising sun and the dawn and the east. And you have made those personal promises. And now we expand it out to the whole community into which you are being welcomed. And the celebrant address is the congregation, who is also making a vow to God and to you and to each other 
will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons or this person in their life in Christ? And the role of the baptized, the role of the faithful people of God is to say with a loud voice, I, we will. We will. And it's not just, we will. We will. No, it is putting, throwing the hammer, putting the stamp down, um, you know, jotting the uh, I's and crossing the T's. We will. It's another one of those powerful reminders to us that Christianity is not a solo enterprise. It's not something we do on our own. It's not something that we should ever be expected to do on our own. It is, it is both the individual and the corporate action. It, it takes all of us to be Christians. Um, and it takes all of us supporting each other to be Christians. You, you can't do it as a solo cowboy gig. It doesn't work out. So we have this, this moment of, of support being voiced by the congregation. This person has made has made their commitment to Christ, or these people have made their commitments to Christ. And then we're taken even one more step deeper into this journey, into the baptismal covenant. When we are asked what it is exactly that we believe. Yeah, we are now, um, to quote TikTok and Little Einsteins, going into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. And as we look at the baptismal covenant, we're on page 304 in the Book of Common Prayer now. This structure may look very familiar to you because it's actually a question and answer based interrogation based off of the Nicene Creed. Or I'm sorry, the Apostles' Creed. Um, and you know it's the Apostles' Creed because it's about the I, not about the we. And the celebrant is asking us, do you believe in God the Father? And the I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. And the congregation is then again asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified under, or he was cru suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then it comes down to a question of how you gonna act as a child of God. If you believe this, what you gonna do about it? How you gonna act? Because this is what it means to be a Christian. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? And before we get into the answer, what does that mean? Are you going to bring your butt to church? <laughs> One, it's a because it's pointing us to that community, right? It's, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And I am breaking giving, of bread. I, I am giving the flip answer, but really, I mean. 
are you going to be a part of this community that you say that, that you are pledging yourself to this day? To, to, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and go home and read your Bible by yourself and say your little prayers every night and to never again communicate with the body of Christ is, my friends, idolatry. We're going to preach for a moment. It is individualized Christianity and it is a sin. You can't be a Christian by yourself. Well, you are a Christian as the body of Christ in community. And the other part of this is, of course, you know, it's one of the things that irritates me about splash and dash baptisms. People who bring their babies to church who only want to get them wet, and then they never darken the door of your church ever again. Yeah. In baptism, we make promises not only to raise this person up into the full stature of Christ, but the, but the congregation is also making promises that they will support this person being baptized in their life in Christ. If you're doing a splash and dash baptism, you're causing all of us to fall down on our faces. Yeah, you're, and you're denying us the grace that is present in getting to help you in raising this child, help you on this path that we know is Christianity, the way of the way of Christ. And, you know, as we move into the third season of this podcast, I hope that one of the things that people have picked up about you and I, Father Joshua, is that we're not about just a faith for faith's sake, that it's not just a badge that we wear on our chest, I am a Christian, that our faith is an active living faith that requires us to radically reshape our lives around the teachings of Christ and requires that faith to be active. And I, I will say with that activity, with that work, it is hard work. Oh, absolutely. It is not. Christianity is not easy. If I wanted, who was it? Uh, C.S. Lewis said, if I wanted comfort from my faith, I would just go to a, uh, I can go to a bottle of port for that. Well, and he's, he's riffing off of G.K. Chesterton, who said that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried and has found to be difficult. Which is why our answer to this question and all the following questions is what? I will, with God's help. I will, comma, with God's help. It takes us back to the very beginning of this, of, of this, when we are talking about, you know, bringing a child up in the Christian life and faith. I will, with God's help, by our prayers and witness, helping a child to grow into the full stature of Christ. I will, with God's help. The community of the faithful is standing here being asked if they're going to continue in the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and in the prayers, and they say, I will, but it's going to take the help of God to help me do this. Will you continue to come together in corporate worship? I will, with God's help. Because the other thing is, we don't always like the people that we are called to be in community with. It ain't easy. It ain't easy. We need God's help. Then we come to the next one. Our sermonettes continue. <laughs> yeah. I promise we're trying to keep this under an hour. Uh, will you persevere in resisting evil? And I love this. And this takes us back to earlier. And whenever you fall into sin, 
repent and return to the Lord. That and, I think, is the most important word in that phrase. Well, there's two, there's two ands there. Which and are you talking about? Uh, the first and. Okay. Will you, will, you pres- will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, not if you happen to fall into sin. It's, it's not a conditional. It no, it is assumed. <laughs> the, the grammatical structure here is not saying, you know, and if you should fall into sin, this question understands the fact that we are going to fall into sin. Yeah. It's going over and over and over again. Um, but instead of holding our focus there, it's it's taking us, it's acknowledging that this is going to happen and then say, this is the right action after you do that. Yeah. So in other words, we don't, we don't, we don't get stuck on your sin. Right. We don't get stuck on your sin, um, which is where, you know, that's what I, I know you and I were both taught a lot. You kind of wallow in your sin. Uh, that is where your testimony is. No, my testimony is that I got up. Right. Through, again the, power, and again and again. through the power of God. I will with God's help. Which is the answer to that one, which takes us to the next question. Will you proclaim, uh, this is hard for Episcopalians, will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And it's not just example. It is not just example. Like, the the prayer that is often attributed to St. Francis, I'm sorry you can hang this up, St. Francis never said it. It's often... It often gets attributed to him, this whole preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That is not St. Francis, y'all. He didn't say that. So stop giving that to Francis. No, St. Francis uh, got in the mud and into too many arguments to have fully lived by that. (laughs) That's a story for a different day. That's the saints in me. That's the fourth iteration of this podcast. (laughs) We have to speak that faith that was that is within us we have to be ready at all times to make an account for the hope that lives within us we have to be willing to talk about our faith that doesn't mean that we walk around in the world with a prayer book in one hand and a bible in the other waiting to clobber people left and right but we're waiting for them to ask us about it or waiting for them to ask us about it it is about the fact that that we should be speaking to what a difference Jesus makes in our lives as Christians and demonstrating how Jesus makes a difference in our lives. It is word and example. It It is talking about how Jesus is our Lord and Savior teaches us to love God with everything that we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not just about loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's about loving God with all we've got, too. Those are the two greatest commandments, and on these two hang all the law and the prophets. And speaking and, and speaking of loving our neighbors as ourselves. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How did they do that? It's like it takes us to the next question. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Now, not just... And we're going to get on my soapbox, so I'm going to have to be real careful here and 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 contain myself. 
it's not some persons. It's not will you seek and serve Christ in those people that wind up on your Christmas card list. All persons loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Again, nobody said it was easy. No, this is your neighbor who doesn't look like you, your neighbor who doesn't love like you, your neighbor who thinks that a biscuits and gravy are an abomination. Uh, <laughs> we don't pray for them, folks, but anyway. <laughs> we know that we all fall into sin. Um, we're especially going to pray for those people who don't break their biscuits up into little bitty pieces before they put the gravy over the biscuit. But we that's going to pray this is the that's for uh my sin and me which is the fifth iteration of this podcast apparently um yeah the one the the place that i always take this portion of the uh baptismal covenant is the story of uh thomas merton's revelation and the story is that he was in downtown louisville kentucky and he was standing on a street corner and he looked out and all of a sudden, everyone around him, everyone that he could see was engulfed in light. And he knew in that moment that he loved them. They were complete strangers to him. But he knew that he loved them because they too were children of God. Knowing nothing about them. Knowing nothing about them. About who they are, their stories, where they had been, where they were going, where they were. He loved them just as he saw them. And if that isn't a profound statement of where we should be as we encounter all persons. And that's because he was able to look into the face of everybody and see Christ. Exactly. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? And it is the seeking Christ, right? Like this is an old Benedictine principle that you welcome the visitor as you welcome Christ. One of one of my most loyal listeners is Deacon Mary Lynn Adams, who serves with me here at St. Anne's. And we were having shout out, shout out to Deacon Mary Lynn. And we were having a conversation the other day about whether you could take the rule of St. Benedict and lay it over the baptismal covenant. And I'm thinking you can, but that's that's for that's for St. Benedict and me, which is the sixth iteration of this podcast. But anyway. <laughs> But, but that is also a, a passive look at it. It is an active role as well to seek out Christ in everyone. And if we're, if we're seeking Christ out in the world and loving them in ourselves, then does that mean that we should strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? I, you mean like the very next question? Like the last question in the baptismal <laughs> covenant? They all feed into each other? Yeah. Uh, strive for justice and peace. And that is a big thing right now. Oh my goodness. Um, Striving, I think, is the big, the optimal word there. Yeah. To strive in in this, that isn't one of those struggle words. Striving is not easy. Striving is work. You got to keep working at it. And to respect the dignity of every human being that is so hard my friends with with everything else that is in here with everything else that we understand about ourselves about how we ourselves are going to fall in into sin 
but we're going to repent and return to the Lord. That even in the midst of everything that we understand about ourselves and as human beings, our baptismal covenant commands us to love one another as, as we love ourselves, but also to respect the dignity that is a part of every human being. And, and not to just say, mm, well, you know, sure, they're a human being too. No, to respect that dignity and to say that all people created in the image of God are worthy of love and respect. Nowhere, I recognize God in you. Nowhere in the baptismal covenant are we given license to judge people. No. In, in fact, what the baptismal covenant calls us to is a greater accountability, not only to God, but to each other. And the, on, the only time we hear about judgment is at the beginning when we were talking about uh, the creed under the portion about Jesus Christ, the son of God, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that is not necessarily like a judicial system. That is not bringing down the gavel. That is about justice. But even then, even then the authority is not given to us to judge. It's given to no. Jesus Christ who will, who that's his job. Like you can't, you're not taking that away from Jesus. Like, yeah, you, you got to get out of that game. It, it's not yours to play. So we made it through that Holy Spirit gambit right there. You should all be proud of us that we're tracking as well on time as we are because Father Joshua and I can preach about this just a little bit. Um, we come into the section of the liturgy that requires prayer for those that are about to enter through, pass through the waters of baptism. And because there has been so much that we've talked about from the beginning of this rite of holy baptism that exists inside of a sphere, inside of the Easter Vigil, we've talked about the practical implications of what it means to commit ourselves to the way of Christ and what it means to live as a Christian in the world in a way that is not casual, in a way that is not passive. We think it best for us to take a break right here before we dive deeper into the prayers for the candidates and we actually get into the moment of baptism inside of this liturgy so that we can process and take some time to think about what all of this means for our lives as Christians. If you want to read this right in whole, it is available online at bcponline.org. That could be .com. You can see that it is on page 299 to page 305. That's as far as we've come today. We're going to break right here with this episode of the BCP and me. And we're going to take some time to think about this before we come back again in a couple of weeks to actually get into prayers for the candidates, to Thanksgiving over the water, the actual baptism itself and what our reaction is to those who have committed themselves to their life in Christ. So until we meet again, friends, may the peace of God be always with you. And we'll see you next time on the BCP and me.